Well, good morning, everybody. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And I am glad. There's a lot of places I could be today that don't have air conditioning <laughs> and don't have people with that, that have the, the beauty of salvation on their face. So I'm glad to be here today. So today marks the 11th lesson in this series, It's All About Love. And if y'all haven't figured it out yet, everything in the Bible can find its, it falls underneath the subject of love. So this is yet another lesson. Brother Noah, if you'll pass these out for me, giving Brother Hayes so he can give them to those that come in. Amen. Love. True Christian love is a love that reflects God's love through us to others. Agape love is one that loves those who betray, deny, forget, and no longer see a need for you in their lives. Human love often functions on an idea, this person benefits me. But divine love, agape love, I love this person even if they don't see my value in their lives. I value them no less, no more, because I love them. I think probably the closest dimension of divine love is a mother's love. Um, I do believe you see that. A, a, mother, uh, a mother's love is uh, very close. So, this, this divine love is only possible through the work of the Spirit of God. That's why the Scripture says the fruit of the Spirit is love. Therefore, if my love is lacking, it speaks to a lacking of the Spirit of God's influence flowing through my life. So my prayer, desire, spiritual hunger should desire to see others blessed, free, joyful, and at peace. So my prayer, Lord Jesus, I pray for their salvation. Amen. It's all about love. God's desire is that your world would experience his love through your words, actions, attitudes, and desires. Uh, words are cheap. Amen. It's easy to say I love you. It's harder to actually demonstrate that. It says somewhere in the epistles, uh, if you see your brother in need and you tell them, be blessed, be fed, uh, that, that that kind of faith has no power. Uh, faith without works is dead. So this morning I want to read a scripture. We've been reading almost every week for the past 11 lessons. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 1 and uh, I want to read a little further than we have in the past few weeks. And uh, it's Deuteronomy 6, 
verse 1. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land whither you go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which command thee that thou and thy son and thy son's son all the days of thy life and that thy days may be prolonged so here's what you need to do and if you'll do this these are the benefits here therefore O Israel observe to do it that it may be well with thee and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey hear O Israel the Lord our God is one Lord and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. They shall be as frontless between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. So it's very important that the people of God, God through Moses, told them, if you'll do what I've commanded you, if you'll walk in my ways, and if you will pass them down to your children's children, I will bless you. And how you do that, you determine loving God is my number one priority. As I've said over the past few weeks, we can nurture affection. We can we can create a love for something that we did not previously love. Amen. Anybody ever picked up a habit or a hobby or something that you grew fascinated in later in life? I'm not expecting any answers, but somebody might have have example of that when I first started dating my wife I had uh, had my own landscaping business from the time I was probably uh, 16 I started a lawn care business and uh, for a long time I saved up my money till I bought my own weed eater lawnmower and uh, edger I believe I don't think we really did blowers much. I didn't have a blower. And uh, I run an ad in one of the local little newspapers. And if I remember right, I had like 10 calls my first day. And I I had, I had, uh, I'm not real clear on that number, but I do know it was going to my last call and I had made $165 that day and I totaled my truck that day on my first day of using the lawnmower and the weed eater and the edger I had saved my money for and how did that happen you ask well this is before cell phones and GPS there was a map book that we had in the Dallas area called a Mapsco. You would look in the back of the book and find the street name, and it would give you the page and the coordinates on the page. So page uh, B12, uh, C, 
six and D, whatever. And so you'd find it, and you'd have to look at that map and say, this is where I'm at, and figure out how to get to this place. So I had figured it out, and so I'm driving down the, the street. I just got through cutting this grass on, and I look down at the map. Of course, my, my steering wheel on this truck I had had about 12 inches of play between connecting points. Remember this, Dad? Am I exaggerating? So in the process of driving my truck down this street, I looked down at the map, and I totaled, I hit three vehicles. I hit the front of a car, the side of a truck, and, and I totaled a, um, an SUV of some sort. I don't know what it was. and totaled my truck that I think was it. Was the truck $1,600? Anyway, it's a long time ago. We put $600 down, and then I think I had to finance 1000 Something like that. Yeah, anyway. So my dreams of making a lot of money. Anyway, I, 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 that's kind of a, a rabbit trail. But I, 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 through that process, my dad and his friend, uh, my dad worked out a deal with a body man that, he did some painting and, and drywall, hung some wallpaper, so the guy fixed my truck. And uh, thank you, Dad. And so I finally got my business going, and through that process of that business, I, uh, I developed an, a, uh, an affinity toward lawn tools. And I don't know how many times when I first started dating Becky, maybe even into when we were married, we would go through Sears. And we would look at the lawn equipment. Am I telling the truth? It's the truth. I will say I was delivered from that affinity to the point to where I would never even think about it. But I, my point is you can get to where you're fascinated over anything. And the Lord was telling his people, I want you to be fascinated. I want you to be thinking. I want you to appreciate. I want you to value what I've given you. And if you will do that and teach your children to love those same kind of things, I will bless you. You will be blessed. But you've got to develop a love for me in that it's like frontlets between your eyes. It's like, it's like uh, something on your hand. It's, you put it on the door of your house. You even put it on the door, the gate of your city. I want you to have your love for me in the front of your mind. When you lay down, when you get up, when you come and you go, all the time. I want you, y'all getting it? God wanted his people to love him. Amen. And so it is from this premise that this series was born. And this morning I was thinking about, you know, what am I going to teach on today? And, and this is kind of what came from my meditation on that. Ephesians 2, 19 and through 21. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and pilgrims. Oh, I did want to m mention this. Today's Pentecost Sunday. In Pentecost, we learn Wednesday. Uh, what does it mean? 50. And it literally is the 50th day from Passover, which in its origination, it was 50 days from the literal Passover. From the time the death angel moved over Egypt, that's the Passover, to the time that Moses received the Torah 
was 50 days. They called it the Feast of Weeks, but it's because it was seven weeks from Passover, the literal Passover, to the time that the Lord gave them the commandments. So when they were celebrating Shavat, which is the Feast of Weeks, which is Pentecost, they were celebrating the receiving of the Torah. So it was in the Feast of Weeks, it was the cell, it was the leading up to the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Pentecost, that the, the tradition was they would recite, they would read, they would stay up all night, and they would read the Torah in celebration of the giving of the Torah. And at the day when the day of Shavuot, the celebration of the giving of the Torah, was when the Spirit of God fell. And so when he gave the law the first time, it was with wind, fire, and thunderings. When he gave the second covenant, it was with wind and fire and thunderings. And so when we think about this, we, we, we as believers, we recognize and value the old covenant and we recognize and value the new covenant. And so Pentecost Sunday, we identify with that. As Pentecostals, we identify with that which the Lord did at the birth of the first covenant. And so... Many people have all kinds of ideas of what it means to be a Pentecostal. Even Pentecostals sometimes have ideas of what it means to be a Pentecostal, which in reality, it, that's not really what it means to be Pentecostal. We are Pentecostal because we value the, the impartation of the Holy Ghost. We identify with the giving of the Spirit of God. So we celebrate Pentecost every time we get up. Every time we pray, and we pray in the Spirit. Amen. So the premise of the series has been the idea, the concept, that our Christian faith is rooted and built upon the foundation of the Scripture. 2 Timothy three fifteen through 17, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We believe all scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Our faith is not based on denominational tradition. No doubt Pentecostals have a denomination. But as a believer, as a pastor, as a person having a responsibility of leading people with God, to God, together, in our walk with faith my commitment is not to a denomination because denominations change their faith and their beliefs amen there have been denominate since there's been denominations denominations have changed and at any point the united pentecostal church ceases to stand for what the word of god stands for i will cease to be a united Pentecostal preacher. I don't have to do that right now. But if I ever need to do that, I am committed to the Word of God far, far, far above than my commitment to any denomination. 
because we are apostolic in our commitment to the Word of God. And so our faith is not based on a denominational tradition. It is not based on the figureheads of the Reformation. It is not based in the nebulous idea of historical Christianity, but rather reaching past historical Christianity to the original Christianity. Uh, a lot of people, you'll hear this term if you ever kind of follow hyper-religious discussions. There is a lot of discussion of historical Christianity. and Usually when they're talking about that is they're talking about their particular version of historical Christianity. Most people that call historical Christianity, if they're Catholic, they're, they're pointing to the church councils and their popes, and right? And if you're talking to the Lutherans, they're talking about Martin Luther. If you're talking to, to uh, Calvinists, uh, they're talking about Calvin and probably most of Luther as well. And uh, the bottom line is my, my claim to authenticity may respect people that are heroes of our faith because they preach what we preach, but my affinity is to the original church and its practice and its doctrine. The apostolic faith is rooted literally, <laughs> just to, to emphasize the point, literally it doesn't need to be in the sentence, but I like to say it, literally in the writings, the actions, and doctrines outlined, found, directly in Scripture. Amen? This idea that we should not add to or take away from Scripture is deep in the DNA of the text. Acts 2 and verse 42, the Bible tells us the first original church and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. What did the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, what was that? They were teaching and preaching what Jesus had commanded them. And so what they taught us is what Jesus taught them. Amen? And so we look to them as the authority on life and lifestyle and attitude and faith and prayer, baptism, because they are the hand-picked disciples, individuals he chose to build his church upon. Jesus didn't write a letter except through the writings of those who wrote the scripture. They are the ones God chose to establish the church. And I believe in the sovereignty and wisdom of God that those he chose did what he told them to do. If you can't trust that, you're wasting your time. I far and above trust Peter above Martin Luther. I believe what the Word of God says about the Godhead far and above what a bunch of individuals chose to say was the doctrine 300 years later at the Council of Nicaea. Amen. The Council of Nicaea was the further devolvement of truth and perverting what God's original intent was from Jesus' teaching and the apostles' preaching. They changed what the practice was. They changed what the faith was. 
And no doubt, the, the majority may rule, but often the majority is an error. Even today, the majority of Christianity, much of what they believe is not true. It's what the majority believes. And the majority often is wrong because what they believe isn't what the Bible says. They believe what somebody else told them the Bible says. Amen. So when we talk about love, the apostolic faith is rooted in a love for God and a love for the Word of God. Amen. We love the Bible. We believe it is divinely inspired. And this, the scripture that says, let God be true and every man a liar, we literally <laughs> believe that. The Word of God is the last and final and great authority. As a pastor, as a preacher, I do endeavor to, to unfold, to explain, to share, to preach the Word of God. But if I preach something that is contrary to the Word of God, please, please look to someone else to tell you the truth. Because the Scripture says, John 7 and verse 37 in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Everybody said, Jesus said this. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Holy Ghost was not available until Jesus was ascended into heaven. And when Jesus was about to ascend into heaven, he said, Go and tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. The day of Pentecost is the fulfillment of what Jesus prophesied about. And he said, Your faith must be rooted in and what the scripture says about me. Not what Billy Graham says or Joel Olstein, David Bernard, Scott Phillips. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. We need to be sure that what we believe is what the scripture states. Now if I preach what the scripture says, please believe what I say. But believers have a personal responsibility to be sure that what the preacher says is actually in fact in the scripture. Now, a lot of people, I do believe you can be saved by simple faith if the person that is preaching to you is preaching the Word of God. Amen? <laughs> but if the person is preaching to you their ideas, fables, uh, uh, religious tradition, and you have simple faith in what the preacher tells you and he's not preaching to you the truth, simple faith won't save you. Because what you're believing is not true. Simple faith works if what you believe is actually the truth. <laughs> right? But the challenge to the believer, the sincere believer, is they need to know, hey, not only did I hear the preacher preach it, but it's in the Word of God. And as an apostolic, we have the luxury to believe what the preacher says. But we should, we should fortify ourselves to have a greater ability to deal with other people's beliefs when their simple faith 
is based upon what their preacher said. And if your basis is, well, my preacher preaches something different, that's not a very good argument. That's not a very good way to persuade. You need to be able to say, well, I appreciate Pastor Bob, and I appreciate Pastor Scott, but, you know, let's, what does the Bible say? Amen? The apostolic doctrine, the apostolic fellowship, is I, I, I do love God as an idea, but I love the Word of God that is revealed in the Scripture because that's God. Amen? And when we have a love for the Word of God, our love for the Word of God opens up a world of revelation that we can be verified, clarified, and have a personal awe because the Lord speaks to us, leads us, and He helps us to understand what the Word of God absolutely says. So when I say it's all about love, I truly believe that no no doubt we, 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 we speak to our love for Jesus and we speak to our faith uh, uh, in our, 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 our prayer and our fasting and our praise and our worship and our tithe and our giving and our church attendance. And these are all good things. But when we find that what we're doing isn't just what the pastor preached and taught, but it's what the Word of God says, we can be fully committed to the faith even when we've been hurt and we have been discouraged and offended by what a preacher may do amen therefore as apostolics we respect what the Bible says to the issues of life and purpose whether it's marriage and children roles and responsibilities husbands and wives men and women Deuteronomy chapter 4 would somebody like to read that for me? Deuteronomy 4, verse 1 and 2. Uh, So the scripture says, don't add to or take away from what the scripture says. I think somebody, oh, here we go, my finals. Deuteronomy 12 and verse 32, it's the same, the same idea. Somebody want to read that for me? Brother Hayes? Don't add to or take away from the Word of God. That was in the Old Covenant. We need to strive to, to believe the Word of God, to obey the Word of God, and believe it and obey it. And the Word of God stands on its own. I don't have to add to it, and I don't need to take away from it. And that was an error that the Jews did in the days of Jesus. And, if, and, and, and it, here's the thing. If you ever... Hear someone say, according to Jewish tradition, in many cases, you could put as much stock in that as to say, according to the Catholic Church. Because Jewish tradition is just that. It's the tradition of the Jews. 
and many things they criticized Jesus for, it was according to their tradition. And Jesus said, because of your tradition, you have caused the word of God to have no value because they added to and they took away. And I, I've said this before, I went to the, the Jewish uh, synagogue and they were talking about a subject and the lady said to me, she's pro I would guess she's probably 50, she's raised a Jew, she's in a room full of Jews teaching this with me and Brother Jones, the Gentiles there. And she said, in a discussion of the scripture, she said, I know we call ourselves people of the book, but most of us have never read it. And so they, they believe that whatever the rabbi says is the truth. And if you have a different rabbi, the truth changes. And Christianity has reached the same point. We've seen apostolic people have lived a certain way acted a certain way and when the pastor changed they changed what they believed here's the thing the word of God is the word of God and and uh, sometimes we have had people have added to the word of God amen and we've had people take away from the word of God and it's my goal I mean I'm not perfect my goal is to preach the word of God as it is stated and teach very clearly what our responsibilities to what the word of God says and if you desire to have your personal convictions I encourage you we all should have personal convictions but we also should not take away from the word of God because we don't like what the word of God says you don't add to it you don't take away from it Revelations chapter 22 the end of your Bible the last words in the New Testament. I think that means it has value. Revelations 22 and verse 8. I want us to read this together. And I'm going to read it with you. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of this prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book which he which testified these things says surely I come quickly amen even so come Lord Jesus the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all amen so the last words in your Bible it is Jesus Christ telling you through the Apostle John don't add to it don't take away from it. I know it refers specifically to the book of Revelation, but I believe I can make a biblical case. It's speaking to the whole Bible because Jesus informed the people, he that believeth on me according to the scriptures. Our faith must be built not just legalistically in what the word of God says, but it must be built on the fact we love the Word of God. And if you can't say that from the depth of your heart, I love the Word of God, I encourage you to develop an affinity, to develop a, a, a taste, to develop a thirst that the Word of God would be in you because it will it'll change the way you see the world. Uh, 
Anybody ever heard the, the, the terminology, a worldview? The person has a particular worldview. And as a believer, we should seek to have a biblical word worldview. A, a biblical view of our world. You know, I, I was raised in the church. Uh, thank you, Mom and Dad. I was raised in the church. I love preaching. I love the Holy Ghost. I love worship. I, I love I love church. But I, I was 30-something years old, 33, 34, and I heard someone talk about the, the scientific proof of a worldwide flood. I had never heard anybody talk about that before because I simply believed the Bible. I, I had a very simplistic view of the flood. The Bible said it. That settles it. I believe it. Period. And so I had many times throughout time, I have, have read hundreds of books, and many of them were not religious books. I read scientific books, psychology books. I've read all kinds of books. I ran across all kinds of things that were against my faith, and I just, I'd read something I didn't agree with, and I would just segment that to the side and say, I believe the Bible. I just segmented the side, I believe the Bible. But I saw someone showed me in pictures and video that the world proves there was a worldwide flood. And since that day, I have, I have built up an affinity for the, the geological uh, 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 proof that there was a worldwide flood. I love the subject. And I, I, I think that sometimes we, if we'll allow ourselves, there, there, are, there are things in this world that are connected to the Scripture, and if we will uh, cultivate a curiosity to study the scripture and connect it to the world that we live in, we will find that the, in the scripture it speaks to all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything. And, and this is my concluding thought. This past week I watched a uh, documentary uh, by a man by the name of Matt Walsh. And it's, it's the, the premise is around the question, what is a woman? And we've heard this in the culture. Uh, there are those in our culture that do not want to answer the question, what is a woman? Because there is a perversion in our culture that wants to say that a man can dress up like a woman, declare themselves a woman, and our culture will accept them as a woman. That's a lie. That's a lie. There are men that want to, to, to dumb down the value and virtue of a woman to a costume. They want to dress like a woman. And our culture, our government, our, our, our uh, powers that be are trying to force this onto our children. They are trying to inoculate and pervert our children at the ages of kindergarten and, and above. My wife and I were sitting at uh, a Chili's yesterday, and over in the corner there was a television screen, and it was cartoons. And, and my wife said, can you see that screen over there? And 
I didn't have my glasses on. I never wore my glasses. Like, I see colors. <laughs> she said, she said it's a cartoon. And it's got, I saw a pentagram. It's like they're casting spells. And, and, it, and it turned out it was the Disney Channel. And it's a, it's a series called The Owl Club. And we were talking about it. And I think Noah and his girlfriend were sitting there. And they looked it up. Three years ago, on this cartoon on the Disney Channel, was the first uh, showing of a transgenderism and two transgender people kissing each other on a cartoon on the Disney Channel. And my wife and I were talking about, you know, try to raise children in a culture that is their enemy, that is bent on perverting them. But I forget what she said. What, what culture, what did you reference? Oh, in the Bible days there was Moloch. <laughs> and they were burning their children to their God. And, and yes... Uh, you know, as the scripture says, as it was in the days of Lot, so will it be when, when the Son of Man comes. And so when we see these things, we should rejoice because our redemption draweth nigh. And as a believer in the Word of God, it makes me love the Word of God more because the Word of God spoke to this all these generations before. In the beginning, God created them male and female. And Jesus himself quotes that text. And he says, in the beginning, God created them male and female. And when we don't have to try to correct every wrong person. But we should arm ourselves to know that when we hear people talking that language, that is the spirit of Antichrist. And if they believe that, they are under a delusion their mind is darkened and potentially through your prayer and through your witness God would use you to help them to come into a knowledge of the truth because the way you fight darkness is to simply let your light shine and our greatest light is our love for others our love for God and our love for his word and these three things <laughs> will help us to make a difference. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I love you today. I love you today. Oh, how I love you, Jesus. I love your word. I love your people. I love your house. I love your name. I love your word. I love your blood. I love, Lord, your reality. I love your salvation. And I love the fact that, Lord, when I was a sinner, you died for me because you loved me. You first loved me. I, therefore, love you. I love you. Help me to be a witness. Help me, Lord Jesus, to see people uh, to come into a knowledge of the truth, to be delivered, Lord, from all of these perversions. We pray, God, that we would see a revival of repentance and that, God, you would do a great work in the lives of people that we meet. And everybody said in Jesus' name, amen. You got time for coffee and a donut? In Jesus' name.